Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Have you ever tried to lose weight and worked really hard at it, but simply not seeing the results? With a whole multitude of factors that can influence your weight, not just your diet and exercise, this week's Food for Thought sees dietitian Leanne Ward and I explore how you can achieve healthy weight loss and why we need to manage our expectations. Hello, Leanne. Hello, Rhiannon. and thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's such a treat to have you on the podcast. I know you're a podcaster yourself and um Oh, and a fellow, you know, registered dietitian, so you know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to the world of nutrition, the world of health. I guess if, let's start the episode today with the fact that a lot of people will be looking for weight loss and probably assuming that if they want to lose weight, it's got to be this militant uh, routine and this strict diet. Uh, what are your thoughts on that type of belief? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really common thought process for a lot of people. And I'm here to tell everyone that no, you absolutely don't need to be militant, but you do need to be two things in my experience, Rhiannon. And that is A, in a calorie deficit and be consistent because most people who try to lose a little bit of weight either are not in a calorie deficit. So, you know, they're eating really healthy and they're exercising and that's wonderful, but it's still a little bit too much for their body. So they're not seeing those sort of results that they would like, or they're just not consistent for long enough because what they're doing is just too strict. And, you know, they're only able to do it for a couple of weeks, um, which is honestly you know, totally normal because we don't want to give up all our favorite foods. So I'm here to tell you that there is absolutely room for your favorite foods, carbohydrates, days off the gym, a couple of extra sweets, all that is okay. It can absolutely fit. Um, But, you know, you you just need to be consistent over time to get those results, which um, unfortunately a lot of people aren't or can't be. 
And I think that's a really difficult thing about human nature. I mean, we talk a lot on this podcast mm. about the fact it's not just down to willpower. There, are, It's almost unfair to say that um, as a phrase in itself. But you, t- you touched on calorie deficit. So let's go. Let's go into that because mm. it's not that straightforward. I, th- I think it can be confusing because, of course, there's the assumption that you could just eat calories consisting of chocolate and be in a deficit and that's going to help you see the results you need if you know what I mean <laughs> yeah and I think that you know there's sort of two schools of thought and as you as we mentioned before I jumped on this um this podcast with you Rihanna and you were mentioning TikTok and I've been on the app for maybe about a year now and there's a huge push from you know personal trainers uh you know just fitness young people even you know 15 16 year olds who now have you know a million followers online thanks to this brain app we call tiktok who are interested in health and fitness and you see the same consistent messaging if you want to lose fat be in a calorie deficit and that is the messaging that is all over social media at the moment and mm. i'm not here to disagree with it rhiannon i'm just here to say that it's as simple and as difficult as that and i think a lot of people and when we say things like you know as health professionals to lose weight, be in a calorie deficit. All that's teaching, uh, you know, a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, an 18-year-old, a young person is count your calories. And that is absolutely mm. not the message that I want to send here today because there is so much more to life than weighing all of your food out, inputting it into an app, trying to hit your macros, trying to stay under your calorie amount. But it, it honestly is very, very important for weight loss. But there are some things that we can do that allow us to be in a calorie deficit that don't mean that we have to actually count calories long term as well which is nice. (laughs) Oh, 100%. And it also doesn't educate the future generations and even adults, you know, people that have been stuck in a diet culture zone for a very long time, the quality of nutrition and why it's so important to not become deficient, perhaps in certain micronutrients, uh, so vitamins and minerals, because it's not always sustainable or safe, is it, to reduce energy intake? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I get asked this question quite a lot. And I honestly think that, you know, it's sustainable and it's safe until it's not. And for so many people, Mm. that might be only two or three days and they crack and they're off the diet or, you know, they're trying to do something like give up all carbohydrates. But there's somebody who actually loves carbohydrates. So how long is it going to last? A week or two? So it's sustainable and safe, unfortunately, until it's not. And for so many people, that not comes much sooner than they would prefer. So I think for a lot of people, um, particularly working under the guidance with a health professional, such as a registered dietitian, it can be, you know, safe and sustainable anywhere um, from about sort of eight to 16 weeks. I don't like to keep my clients in deficits for longer than that. And if you look at, you know, um, a lot of, you know, women and men doing bodybuilding comps, some of those guys are dieting six to 12 months of the year. So metabolic and mentally afterly as well, that, that sort of competition phase, there's all sorts of things going on as well. So I think that shorter deficits are absolutely better, but it doesn't mean that they have to be super, super strict because you're going shorter with them, if that makes sense. I'm really, really about that lifestyle approach where we want you to actually change your baseline over time. And I work with within a one-on-one coaching program for my ladies, Rhiannon, but it's a 12-week coaching program. But I always say, I want you to think with 12 months in mind because even 12 weeks, it's such a short amount of time. Mm. We, we can't really achieve too much. We can achieve some wonderful health behaviors. But in terms of long-term fat loss, that's actually going to stay off long-term. You know, once we lose it, we don't want to regain it again. Yeah. Um, that those things can take a lot longer than what we ideally want. And as a society, we like things quickly. We like things <laughs> instantly. We want things yesterday. Do you know what I mean? And oh, so yeah. patience with fat loss is, is a real, is a real virtue. <laughs> 
A hundred percent. Patience is a virtue, that old age saying. It is very, very true. And we do want things quick and we want them now. And I often think we don't actually assess the repercussions of anything we're about to embark upon. So if somebody, let's say, hasn't um, thought through the fact that this isn't sustainable for them and it's not going to be something they can keep up beyond even 12 weeks or something... Is there much truth to uh, something called set point theory? So the fact our bodies are naturally designed to be within a certain range. And if we try and fight against that, we're kind of doing ourselves a bit more harm. Mm, yeah. And I've definitely, I've actually been pulling apart the research in the last couple of days, um, sort of thinking that you might ask me sort of yeah. this question. And I've been asked it a few <laughs> times. And it's a really interesting theory, I guess, because for our listeners at home, body fat set point is, is essentially a range of body fat that your body likes to sit at. It's easiest to maintain your weight here. Um, your body's happy here. And your set point in general is controlled by your body and your fat cell size. So your body likes to maintain this sort of like equilibrium. It perceives it as like an adequate amount of fat storage, almost like a protection sort of um, protection against you know outside influences put it that way mm. <laughs> and your set point for a lot of people is controlled by a lot of things such as genetics uh, your metabolism uh, movement even things like our eating choices which as you mentioned it's not just all about being in a deficit and eating whatever you want your eating choices actually make a large impact on that as well so you can actually change this set point over time, um, obviously by dieting. So if you were to be in a calorie deficit, you would be under your set point. If you ate a whole lot more food, such as over the Easter long weekend, you might be over your set point. But generally what happens around it is when you return back to what you would call normal eating, your body likes to return back to this set point as well. So as I mentioned, you can eat past this set point in a deficit, so it's not set in stone, but over time, what some of the research and studies are pointing at is that this sort of chronic dieting and this yo-yo dieting mm. is causing this set point over time to get almost what we would call like dysregulated, right? So most of these studies are actually in rats, they're not in humans, so I must say this, but it's a really good theory for those chronic dieters and those yo-yo dieters because over time, that set point can actually increase with chronic dieting. So say, for example, you're 100 kilos, Rhiannon, and you do some sort of, I don't know, juice detox or something like that, you drop, you know, 10 kilos in, in a couple of weeks' time or something like that, or six weeks' time, you finish the diet because no one can drink you know, green smoothies for the rest of their life. <laughs> we have bread and bread is delicious. Um, yep. And then you come back to your normal eating habits and you put all the weight back on again. But what a lot of people find that over time might be a couple of months later, six, 12 months, they actually end up heavier than when they mm. started. So their set point can actually be raised over time. So I guess there's no you know, absolutely evidence-based conclusive research to back it up. But there have been some small studies that have pointed out that our biology and our genetics can predetermine that upper and lower limit of body weight gain and loss, so our mm. set point. However, the particular, I guess, like set point that our bodies have, these limits are actually determined by behavioral interaction and some environmental factors. So I love the quote, Rhiannon, that says, um, genetics loads the gun but environment mm. pulls the trigger, yes. meaning that, yeah. okay, yes, we can have, you know, we can be big bone, we can have some, you know, genetics that we're never really going to change. But the food that you eat, the exercise you do, how you talk to yourself, the water that you drink, the sleep that you get, all of that is incredibly important and has an impact over time as well, not just 
being in a calorie deficit. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that analogy with the gamuts. Yeah, the nature nurture debate. I mean, epigenetics. There's so many factors to consider that we, you know we're given, we're dealt a hand, aren't we, of cards, and it's how we play them throughout life. I, I think um, exactly. When yeah, gosh, I come out of a few there, not intended at all. Um, <laughs> but with with the word weight loss, the language mm. that we use. Uh, first of all, I think it's so important to reiterate that I think it's become such an emotive area and controversial area which is a bit unfair because it's an individual's choice what they want to do with their body but we should point out that weight loss doesn't dictate health does it so it's not necessarily going to make you healthier if you just think of a number hmm, absolutely and I actually like to to make this even more controversial Rhiannon I Go actually like to call weight loss <laughs> fat loss because yes, thank you body fat loss because Exactly. So if you were to do, as an example, you know, a 12-day detox, you did nothing but smoothies. It was just lots of nutrients, green, you know, green smoothies, vegetables, vitamins, vegetables, Apple cider vinegar, charcoal, I did it all. Exactly. (laughs) Lemon, you know, you've got to put the lemon juice (laughs) in the cayenne pepper in there, all of that, right? Yeah. We jump on the scale after a week and the scale goes down and we're like, woohoo, it's great. That would be what I would call weight loss, Rhiannon. So weight loss for most people is made up of body fat loss muscle Mm. mass and also water weight and water weight shifts they're completely fine they're actually completely normal muscle mass losing your muscle mass is not ideal over time because muscle is a metabolically active tissue and it's one of Mm. the best things that we have to support and assist our metabolism long term what we're really looking for is just true fat loss And I know that sounds funny. Whenever I talk about it in terms of fat loss, I know people kind of cringe a little bit because we don't like that word, you know, fat. It's not a a nice word, but I like to, um, you know, pull apart the two sayings like weight loss and fat loss as two very different things. Because again, if you were to jump on that scale and that scale said you've lost five kilos in a week from doing something like a ketogenic diet, Rhiannon, for every gram of carb your body eats, you store three grams of water. So a lot of that quote unquote weight loss in the in the first week you're just peeing out water so that five kilos might be made up of and this is a total example three kilos of water one kilo of muscle and one kilo of fat loss so you're not really Mm. five kilos of fat loss down you might only be a kilo and for most people that's so strict that what happens is the longer and harder you diet for the the more we can sort of um drop our metabolism down over time which which is not ideal and i think that that Obviously, you know, not obviously, but I think that that can contribute to that set point theory and that chronic yo-yo dieting Mm. increasing over time because what we're losing, we're looking at weight loss when we should really be losing at looking, you know, looking at losing fat loss over time. Mm, I couldn't agree more. And that's sometimes where I think the nuance in the world of nutrition and science is incredibly important because, yes, you can shout calorie deficit, but... If you're not doing things or you're not eating the right nutrients, you're not supporting your body, you're not looking at your overall health, you're just looking at numbers all the time. You do lose so much of that nuance, all the colors of the spectrum that we're, we are ignoring. Now, you mentioned a lot of other factors as well that, of course, we can't control when it comes to, I'm going to keep calling it body fat loss because we do that in the nutrition clinic as well and I'm glad you said that because sometimes I feel I just it's easier isn't it if you're a health professional to explain to a client that it's body fat loss rather than a number like the weight on the scales um Mm-hmm. What are some factors that determine our body fat that we we can't perhaps control? 
Yeah, and I think as I mentioned before, you know, genetics is one of them. You can't change your genetics. You know, I'm I'm six foot one, Rihanna, and I'm very, very tall. And yeah. no matter how hard I wished for that when I was smaller, it didn't happen. I, I never got shorter. No matter how many times I, you know, cut my birthday cake and made a wish every year, I didn't get smaller. Oh. So we can't change those genetics that we were dealt with, but we also don't want to use that as an excuse. And as I mentioned, and I'm going to say my favorite quote again, Rhiannon, genetics loads the gun, but yeah. environment pulls the trigger. Yeah. Meaning that all of these things that we do are so incredibly important. Just because, you know, your your parents had diabetes or just because you come from a family that has struggled with heart disease or obesity doesn't necessarily mean that you don't do anything to try and help yourself, you know. The food and the quality that you eat matters. The environment that you have matters. The exercise you do matters. The water and the and the nutrients that you get in, that all matters. So mm. I think the first factor is genetics, but I wouldn't say that it's not modifiable. I would say that it um, you know causes some people to maybe start off on the back foot, but that's okay. There are definitely things that we can do to um, assist us there. And I would also say probably the other factor, Rhiannon, would be um, dieting and weight loss history. As I mentioned, like that yo-yo yeah. dieting because mm. you can end up changing your set point over time. So I think that that's one big factor that not a lot of people consider when it comes to sort of determining your weight is because your body sort of likes that set point. And the more you play with that, the more you might end up uh, having a larger set point over time. Mm. And I think that there are also you know, some medical conditions, things like, um, I don't know, PCOS, hypothyroidism, you know, those are things that might make it more difficult to lose body fat, but they don't entirely determine your weight. You know, you can still learn to optimize your condition, work with your health professional and your team. Um, and actually we've seen a lot of clients being able to, to lose body fat safely and sustainably over time from optimizing um, their health conditions, but working with their whole, you know, primary healthcare team, their doctor, their dietitian, their exercise professional, it's not a one-man job when it comes to a lot of these medical conditions. So I don't think that there are there are many factors that completely determine our weight that are, you know, totally outside of our control. Um, there are so many things that we can do these days in terms of personalized nutrition and personalized exercise programs and personalized lifestyle programs as well. Um, and that's what I always like to remind clients. It's not, you know, where we came from, it's it's where we're going. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It's not a one-man job. I think um one area we also look at in clinic is the psychological impact. And I think you have to weigh up if anybody's listening and you're thinking about embarking upon a change is, is this the right time for you psychologically? Is it going to be beneficial or cause a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety? Because ultimately the behavior changes you're going to be embarking upon are not always easy. And I think the consequences of that body fat loss psychologically can actually be a lot bigger than people realize and I've had some clients that have struggled to be in a smaller body believe it or not when what you hear about most of the time is people wanting to be there and not knowing who they were anymore having to re-identify with a complete different body shape and size and their friendships changed with other people because someone always saw them as as a stereotypical it, it's not right this is wrong but certain sizes are seen as more friendly or the one that you share secrets with or the friend that, you know, goes out and parties. There's all these types of terrible associations that people place upon appearance. So I think mm -hmm. psychology is hugely important. And on that note, I think it's also psychologically challenging when clients hit a plateau. So I was wondering, Leanne, what you do or what your advice would be, because we know, or we both know weight loss is 
not a linear line, is it? You're going, it's going to be up and down and all over the place. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I think I actually see uh, a plateau as, as a good sign for some people. If it's a small plateau, like it's just, you know, one week that they didn't, didn't drop some weight. So we mm. talked about weight maintenance. And I think that's a really important concept that, again, a lot of people were either 100% striving for fat loss or were like 100% off the wagon. And I really think that there is room for weight maintenance and seeing that as a as a win as well. And I like to think it about if you were running a marathon across the desert, right? You couldn't just keep running forever. You've got to, you know, have a seat on the bench. You've got to refresh with a bit of um, fluid or a little bit of electrolytes or something like that. Have a little bit of a snack bar to keep you going along the way. It's mm. okay to sit down and rest. You don't just have to charge full ball ahead the entire time. And I work with a lot of clients around and that say, you know, Leanne, I've got 20 or 30 kilos to lose. And I say, that's okay. Let's give ourselves a couple of years. But again, as humans, we, we want things now, we yeah. want things yesterday, yeah. and we want them fast. Mm -hmm. And I think it is really difficult to understand that if we hit a plateau, it's not the end of the world because generally that's our body telling us two things. A, I just need a quick drink break just for a second and I can get up and be on my way. You know, if we plateau for a week or two, absolutely okay. I actually like to average my client's body fat loss over time. So say, for example, they drop a little bit um, you know, in the first fortnight, drop a little bit in the next fortnight, then they stabilize in the third fortnight fortnight, I'll average out their fat loss over time and not talk to them about what happened in that fortnight, talk to them what's happened over the last six weeks. And of course, mm. reflect on other behaviors that have nothing to do with weight loss. You know, they've seen improvements in energy, improvements in digestion, their clothes are fitting better, they're managing their stress levels better. So I think that that's all a really important part of remembering that a plateau isn't just I guess, a plateau on the scale. If we've made progress in other areas, then we're still progressing, right? It doesn't always have to be about just what the scales say. Um, and I think the other really important part, Rhiannon, is recognizing that sometimes a plateau is your body's way of saying, hey, mate, stop and have a glass of water. <laughs> or the yeah. other way it might be saying is, hey, I need a long-term break. You know, I've been at this for a while. I need a what do you call it? Some long service leave, you know, when you've been at your job <laughs> for a while and you take like six yeah. or eight weeks off or, you know, probably even longer. It could be your body's way of saying, hey, metabolically, you've, you've cut me down too low. You've dieted me too hard. I've got nowhere to go. And I see that routinely with clients mm. who might message me through TikTok or Instagram and they just say, hey, Leanne, you know, I've done this, this hugely restricted calorie deficit. And for some reason, people love the number 1,000 calories and 1,200 calories, but so many fully grown adults need so much more food than that. So they've done that, say, for example, 1,000 calorie diet for how many weeks now? And they've gotten to the point where their weight has stalled. And that's essentially their body's way of saying, hey, you've got two options here. Either give me less food because metabolically I'm now downregulated or stop dieting me and give me more food so I can actually come back metabolically. And it's a really tricky thing because I can appreciate for so many people out there, they're not at their goal weight. But I think that the most important thing to remember is it's not a race. And most of the time, if you've got a larger amount of weight to lose, the slower you get there, yes. the the better you'll get there. It's like the tortoise and the hare, right? <laughs> Slow and yeah. steady wins the race, particularly if you have a larger amount of weight to lose. And sometimes this concept of almost like reverse dieting. So slowly adding calories back in to bring yourself back to weight maintenance for a couple of weeks or a few months is actually one of the best things that you can do to push past a plateau because a plateau is generally 
um, your body sort of slowing itself down a little bit, conserving a lot of that that small amount of energy that you're giving it and holding on to that a little bit more and saying, hey, I'm not really comfortable here. I don't really want to go much further. So most people have two options. It's cut their calories down further to lose weight. And that's not you know, ideal in any world, particularly if your calories are already super low, you could increase your exercise. A lot of people are already, you know, flogging themselves at the gym every single day, probably not really ideal either. And the third option, which many people don't like to consider, but probably really should, is actually just hit pause on their fat loss and aim to maintain Rhiannon for mm. a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And then you can go back into a deficit after that and, and try again. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, it's very methodical, and this is exactly why it takes a health professional's guidance. And I wish that everybody had access to the correct forms of help, because you can see so easily, even you just explaining all of that, how people fall into these traps, these these fast fad diets, selling promises, because, you know, the thought of having to work out how to maintain or, you know, going too hard too fast means you've got nowhere left to go can leave people feeling absolutely demoralized. And mm-hmm. one of the, um, I think, interesting research papers I was reading the other day was when people actually stopped the exercise and just focused on their nutrition for, I can't remember how many weeks, I think it was only like an eight week trial. Um, the participants actually met their goals in terms of body fat loss compared to if they were actually hitting the gym because it just took away one extra area to think about. But that goes against our training where, of course, we know that to maintain a healthy habit for life in terms of nutrition and health, it's best to combine, isn't it, for health outcomes, your exercise and your nutrition. So it Mm. is an absolute minefield. I I think people (laughs) are completely confused because... They just want to see it quickly, don't they? I mean, how, how long on average would you say for somebody just starting? And I don't want someone to go away and do an extreme low calorie diet. I mean, sensible nutrition, sensible body fat loss. How long would that take, mm-hmm. do you think, to start to see results? 
Yeah, and let's bring it back to this again. This this word mm. body fat because I think that that's really what we're aiming for, right? We don't we don't yeah. we shouldn't and we don't want weight loss because so often it's yeah. it's caught up with muscle mass loss and that is not ideal. Your muscles are their magic. Hold on to those guys as much as you can. We mm. want pure body fat loss. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that true fat loss can actually take 2 to 4 weeks to even reflect on the scale. So if you're starting your diet on Monday, which you know, so many people do and it drives me insane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a diehard perfectionist, so I really try to get my clients out of that start again on Monday mindset, yeah. you know, and then you jump on the scales on Wednesday and you're down, you're down Friday, then you're a little bit up on Saturday. It's going to mess with your mindset more than anything. Mm. So the first thing I say to my clients is put the scale away. Don't even touch it. Like we don't even have to use it to see progress. But if you want to give it at least two weeks, give two weeks of consistent hard behaviors, and then we'll know if we need to change up your plan a little bit, but you're not going to see anything but hormonal and water weight shifts in a couple of days time. So I think true fat loss, two to four weeks, if you're not using the scale at all, which I think is wonderful, you, I think potentially about six to eight weeks for changes to be seen in terms of if you took some photos, like some progress photos, or even clothing. You know, you might have a pair of jeans that are a bit tight to do up at the moment. If you did some wonderful nutrition changes and lifestyle changes in over the next sort of six to eight weeks, you tried those jeans on again in two months time. If they actually fit a lot better, that's the only sign that you need that you're actually making progress in the right direction. But mm. as I said, if you're just jumping on and off the scale every day or, um, you know, breaks my heart, but multiple times a day, all you're going to see is those fluid and those hormone shifts. So you can actually see fat loss results um, in a week if you're using something like um, skin, skin fold um, calipers, but you really need to ensure that the person that is doing your skin folds is highly qualified and is highly repeatable because there's a lot of inaccuracies when people aren't oh. qualified enough. I've seen a lot of... Um, I shouldn't say this, personal trainers in the no, gym I doing was, them with ugh. the plastic calipers. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but, you know, we have whole modules at university on biometrics and how to measure, yes. you know, and it is not as simple as oh, I see some terrible things too, Leanne. I'm glad you brought it up, not me. <laughs> I can I can be the bad guy. But I actually did the um, the Isaac skin folding course, Rihanna, and when I wanted to be yeah. a sports dietitian as soon as I left yeah. uni. And that's a three-day full-on intensive course exactly. where you you learn to measure you know different landmarks across your body and it's really yeah. it's a ac very accurate way to measure um, body fat percentages but you have to be repeatable as a clinician if you're if you can't even repeat your own results we used to have mm. to do three sets of skin folds on the same person um, and if we were out by I can't remember off the top of my head what percentage it yeah, was you wouldn't get your yeah, yeah you wouldn't Awful. get your certificate or your qualification mm. because it, it, yeah, it's that, um, I guess, precise as a measurement. Um, and that's not for the majority of, of people listening, put it that way. Skin folding is really something that you might use if you were doing, I don't know, a bodybuilding competition where, you know, every week leading into it is is really um, really needed, put it that way. Or you're, a, you're an athlete such as um, a footballer where, you know, a lot of them do get their skin folds done. So I don't mm. think it's needed for the, the um, average person such as yourself and myself. But um, it is a way that you can sort of see true fat loss a lot quicker. But I think for a lot of people, give yourself time, particularly if you're just using the scale and use other markers of progress as well. I love to use a piece of clothing. I love to use progress photos yeah. and also measurements as well. But again, measurements have to be repeatable and accurate too. If you're going to, you know, measure your waist or measure um, your glutes or something like that, you need to make sure that um, that measurement is in the same place again and again for a repeatable measure. Yeah, that, that's so true. And once again, it really goes to show the difference between who you go to to trust your body with because 
I think a lot of people listening, Leanne, will be scarred by experiences perhaps they've had in the gym previously or online or following the number on the scales, basically everything we've covered thus far. Um, But I, I want to give people hope, the fact that it can be done and it doesn't have to be miserable if, you know, you really do want to address your body fat concerns because it's not all or nothing. And I think perhaps a lot of our listeners may put a lot of emphasis on either exercise or diet. So what are your thoughts on the exercise uh, component, first of all, of body fat loss? Yeah, um, honestly, you can lose weight without exercise. This isn't me saying that you should do that, but I always like to say that nutrition is king, exercise yes. is queen, and together they make a kingdom. Love that quote. I I'm love all about that. the quote, Shannon. You should oh, see my office. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> so you don't need exercise to lose weight, but it can make it easier. And of course, it has wonderful health benefits. You know, exercising can help to reduce stress management. It can help you sleep better. It's good for our cardiac health. It's good for our bone mineral density. There are so many wonderful health benefits that I'm definitely not here advocating don't exercise, but it is not something that is needed. If you could only do one, you know, put all of your focus into your diet or put all of your focus Mm. into exercise if your goal is purely body fat loss it needs to be a nutrition that has to be king if your goal is something like um you know, going into a powerlifting competition, of course, you're not going to do that just from nutrition. Your protein is important, but you're not going to, you know, increase lean muscle mass without that exercise component. So of course, I encourage my clients to exercise, but I encourage them to see exercise as an outlet, something Mm. that helps them manage stress, manage other emotions, something that helps them to sleep better, something that makes them fitter, stronger, faster, more resilient. And, you know, it's always the the 5am gym classes, the the morning after a public holiday that are always the fullest because people feel like they have to almost punish themselves with exercise. So I think if clients can make that huge mindset shift between nutrition is king, exercise is something that makes me feel good. Exercise is something that makes me fitter, faster, stronger. I sleep better. I have friends when I go. So it's, it's a social thing for me. Yeah. You know, I think that that's such an important mindset shift. Um, of course, it will help with body fat loss as well. But most people, I think, put it as king and put exercise as queen. You know, they go flog themselves in the gym, mm. then they come home and they eat whatever they want and they wonder why they can't get those results, Rhiannon. So yeah. I think it's important to note that exercise needs to be something that you like again otherwise it's not sustainable and i've had clients who they do rock climbing that's their only form of exercise and it's wonderful and they're mm. so strong because rock climbing is really hard yeah, sure. <laughs> or they do um you know they just do hiking on the weekend you know on a saturday or sunday they go out for a really lovely long hike they do that and a few steps during the week and that's all that they really do so i of course will advocate um you know being a sports dietitian and loving that area of exercise mm. that i think most people should be doing some form of cardio and some form of resistance or strength training because again for our muscles and metabolically and for our bone um, bone mineral density it is really really important to do some form of resistance or strength training but that doesn't mean you have to be in the gym it just means that you have to be utilizing your your body weight in some way or form put it that way you know if you don't use it you lose it and that is the same with you know that's so important in terms of our muscle mass as well particularly as we get older, because I think the research shows us once we hit about 40, our muscle mass actually starts to drop off over time. So the older we get, the more important resistance training actually is. Irrespective of fat loss, it's important for overall health. So, and then with exercise, of course, variety is always key. If you're going to do the exact same exercise over and over again, sure, you'll probably get some results initially, but you're going to come to a point where your body just stalls, 
Same deal with nutrition. The body gets used to doing the same thing over and over and you're no longer getting results. So, you know, I've been I've been strength training in the gym for about um, eight years now, Rhiannon, and I, I'm still getting results because my training is varied. I still do squats. I still do deadlifts. I still, you know, try my best to do chin-ups, but mm. they're different types of training. The sets are different. The reps are different. Um, strength training in the gym is something that I love. And so I continue to do it, but I have a lot of clients that say, I hate the gym. And I say, that's cool. We don't have to do that. What sort of exercise yeah. do you enjoy? So it's actually going to last long term because that's the most important part isn't it it has to be sustainable long term for those results to last oh absolutely I was saying yes yes nodding my head to absolutely everything you were saying there because (laughs) a lot of the time as well I think when there's too much emphasis put on the exercise component it actually changes dietary behaviors as well and I don't think people Mm. are quite aware of it so you know, we know there are ghrelin spikes, so hunger hormone um, spikes potentially the more exercise that you partake in. Although, of course, temp- temperature again, how hot you are, there's so many factors that and psychologically may impact what you then choose to eat and um, how likely it is that you're going to be able to um, comply with a nutrition plan along alongside. And not even to mention someone like myself who's had a baby, you know, how your body feels after having a baby and putting pressure on yourself to to embark upon a huge fitness regime i think nutrition is something everybody can do um of course within within reason but the unrealistic pressures of exercise i think mentally can be quite impairing for a lot of people but we have so many questions honestly Leanne, i could chat to you about that forever (laughs) um (laughs) um right the first one of questions from our listeners is from mel So this is something you probably hear a lot. Mela said, my friend has lost a lot of weight. Now, to the point of concern, um, I'm not sure this is healthy. How can I get her to see this? Yeah, and that breaks my heart hearing that question, doesn't it? Because it is, it's so common, particularly in, um, in our younger generation, because, you know, I think the research has shown that there are kids as young as nine or 10 years old that are dieting. And that just, you know, oh, that breaks my heart. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think about food or my body or anything till I think I was at least sort of 16, which yeah. um, feels unheard of these days, doesn't it? So I think that the first thing that you could do, Mel, is point her in the direction of some really great podcasts, just like Rhiannon's one, um, that really talk about this subject. Um, because I think that it really has to, it has to come from her. Something they taught us in the first year of university was that we can never change our loved ones. Our loved ones will be the Mm. hardest people to change. Mm. (laughs) People need to want to change. They can't be told. They have to want to do it for themselves. And that was my dad with, um, with smoking. He smoked for so many years. Um, and my mum nagged him, we nagged him, all my siblings years and years and years and years and years. The minute that we backed off and didn't say anything for a year or two, he quit Rhiannon, cold turkey, just like wow. that. We actually didn't notice for a couple of days. He got Go very him. upset. And he hasn't smoked a cigarette in over a year now. It's amazing. amazing yeah. And we just, yeah, we just sort of backed off him a little bit. And he mentally made that made that shift and went, this is something I need to do for me. So I think that it really needs to come from people, but we can gently love them and support them in other ways. So what I would recommend, Mel, is asking her some questions, showing her that you care, not nagging her, but showing her that you love and you care. So ask her simple things like, has her period disappeared or is her period irregular? Is she always cold? Has she lost all of her energy? How's she sleeping at night? You know, is she sleeping okay? Does she feel okay? Often people don't realize that um, when they lose a lot of weight, they don't necessarily feel better. 
put it that way. So a lot of people think I'm just going to lose the weight and it's all going to be great. I'm going to be so confident and I'm going to have so much energy and it's going to be amazing. But often what happens is people feel the total opposite. They have, they lack so much energy. They have a poor sex drive. They're constantly hungry. They feel lightheaded and they're still not happy with their body. So I think that we just need these gentle conversations with our loved ones to ask questions about their health in a, in a caring way, you know, not in a judgmental way, but I think that some really simple things that people can't see with um, losing a lot of weight are things like um, irregular periods, lack of energy, not sleeping that well, always being cold, um, feeling quite lightheaded. They're, you know, some markers of concern. But again, we can't really force somebody to go and see a health professional. It's much better that they make that decision themselves. Um, so maybe encourage um just to have those conversations with your friend to see if you can um, get her to identify some things that um, might not be feeling so great within her own body, put it that way. That's really, really good advice. Thank you so much for that. Um, So then just trying to pick the next most appropriate question because we covered periods in that. I think, so Maureen, Maureen has said, um, when it comes to dieting, I know what I should be doing, but I just can't seem to stick to it. I do not enjoy healthy foods help me. (laughs) That's all it says. Help me. And I think, yeah. So do not enjoy healthy foods. Um, Mm. I'm going to take that to mean do not enjoy vegetables. (laughs) Potentially, it doesn't say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, healthy food doesn't just mean vegetables, right? We've got our vegetables, our salads, our fruits, our whole grains, our legumes, Mm. our lean proteins, um, you know, even dairy, um, you know, if you choose to eat it, it's it's one of my favorite things is some some really thick Greek yogurt. So Mm. there are a lot of foods that constitute healthy. They don't just have to be vegetables. But I do get asked this question and probably for ease, I'll just focus on the vegetable component, Rhiannon, because I think that that is a lot of things that, you know, people struggle with. And if you didn't eat a lot of vegetables growing up, you probably don't have that sort of taste or palate for it. And that's totally okay. It's, it's, it's not your fault basically. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that it can take about six to eight weeks for our taste buds to change. So I normally have a lot of clients who might have, you know, their coffee with I don't know, two, three, four, five sugars in it. And I generally will say to clients, look, that's an area that we, you know, can make some small changes in. Would you like to cut it all out and just go cold turkey? Or would you like to gradually cut down, you know, half a teaspoon every single week? And what clients generally say to me is, I I just want to do it cold turkey, get it over and done with. And what they generally come back to me in a couple of weeks time, Rhiannon, is, I actually kind of, you know, at first the tea tasted horrible, the coffee was horrible, I had to force myself to drink it, but a couple of weeks in, it actually tastes quite enjoyable again. Mm. And that's because our taste buds change over time. And when we're eating a lot of highly palatable foods or foods that are ultra processed, we're getting in a lot of additional salts and sugars and MSGs and flavorings and that sort of thing. Healthier types of foods you know, can taste a lot more bland, but you know that you've got yourself to the point where you've got a great relationship with food, where you eat a piece of fruit and you're like, oh, wow, that's so sweet, so satisfying. So give yourself time to get there and slowly reintroduce some of those healthier foods that you you don't like, put it that way. And even with things like vegetables, give yourself time just because you tried broccoli once doesn't mean that you have to hate it. You know, if you eat raw broccoli in a salad, that is very different to if you had um, cooked some broccoli, um, drizzle it with some like tahini miso dressing and some sesame seeds. You know, that's one of my favorite ways to eat broccoli. There's so many wonderful things that we can do with vegetables. They taste so different if we were to eat them raw or we to eat them cooked and if we put them into recipes you know 
something like a curry, for example, we can absolutely make a curry, you know, really healthy by halving or making it vegetarian, halving the amount of meat, putting in a tin of beans or legumes in there, um, using something like a light coconut milk instead of a heavy coconut cream, um, and adding in a lot of vegetables because that curry flavor can really help to um, mask some of that taste or the blandness or the bitterness of vegetables. Mm. So really experiment with as many foods as you can. Learn to cook. And if you're not someone who, again, cooks, those skills can be, um, they can be learned. There's so many wonderful free yeah. TikTok videos, YouTube videos that teach you how to make some simple things in the kitchen and start with a recipe such as a curry or a stir fry, which I would say it's probably like a medium type recipe. So maybe get a friend or a loved one to help you and experiment with trying these different healthy foods in different ways. I feel like when a lot of people say to me, I don't like healthy food, they think of the traditional chicken, brown rice and broccoli diet. Oh, and boiled, you know, boiled vegetables. I don't vegetables. like that either. Of course, <laughs> of course, yeah, steamed vegetables, uh-uh, absolute yeah. no-go. Um, you know, invest in something like an air fryer. That 10 times makes your food taste so much better, I can mm. promise you. But mm. there are so many things that we can do in terms of trying different recipes, actually cooking the food, not eating it raw, and making it as part of a you know a delicious meal like a stir fry or a taco bowl or a curry, um, or even you know lasagna. Put some vegetables in there as well, um, because if we're just sitting down and eating like grilled protein and steamed vegetables, you know I'm probably not going to enjoy that either. And, and no. same with you, Rihanna. You yeah. know it's it's okay if you know you're, you're introducing your baby or your toddler to foods for the first time, but as fully grown adults, we like um, flavor in our meals, and there's so many wonderful ways that we can add flavor to meals with herbs and spices and all those sorts of things as well. So really get into the kitchen and experiment and just remember that if worse comes to worse, you know, our vegetables, fruits, whole grains, healthy foods are so incredibly important for us. So what I have said to clients before and I say this with love and respect and a bit of a laugh. It takes six to eight weeks for your taste buds to change. Suck it yeah. up, be an adult, eat that yeah. food, and you'll enjoy it in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> it's the fear of the unknown, and it's something that um, Ella, Delicious Ella, came on our podcast, and she said, I want to make vegetables cool because I think – there is that perception that you've quite rightly said there. And then there's also the research. Oh, I don't know why we didn't discuss this earlier. Of course, we've gut health and the gut microbiota and links that yes. obviously need tons more research. But the more fiber that we eat from our diet, and a lot of that comes from vegetables as much as carbohydrates, then the healthier the gut and potential interactions between our brain and the gut. And that may lead to maintaining our weight. So there are so many areas to, uh, or reasons rather, why we should increase our vegetable consumption and, and that in turn would help with weight maintenance. Right, I need to get one more question in before we move on to our second part because I'm yes. running out of time. Let me just check which one is going to be. Oh, it's so hard to choose, Leanne. Um, let's go with this one. So I know you said this, but we didn't really go into it. Maureen has said, is it okay to have desserts and treats every now and then or will this pile on the pounds oh maureen absolutely absolutely <laughs> but let me um just mention that it is absolutely okay to have this but portion size and frequency yeah. is key um you know i regularly encourage my clients to eat their favorite foods but in portion size amount so i like to say that i like to give clients a little bit of flexibility and a little bit of structure so i'll say mm. to them you know i'm happy for you to have a portion size amount of i call them soul foods Rian, things that yeah. make my soul happy <laughs> and for my me, chocolate it's a glass every of wine, day some chocolate Exactly. Yeah. So I say to them, 
you know, if we're going to start off with, you know, having McDonald's for breakfast and some some cake for lunch, we probably don't want to be then having our chocolate later on because we've probably just overdone the, the frequency or the, or the portion sizes of those things. So the research really does show us that whenever we restrict something, it makes our brain want it far more than usual. So don't mm. restrict it, but have that little bit of structure where instead of buying a family size block of chocolate, pre-portion it into little amounts and little containers. So your brain doesn't just see the whole block and want the whole block. So I think it's best absolutely not to restrict things and to regularly include them as part of your diet or as part of your eating pattern. But don't just do this on the weekend. You know, this causes a lot of people to have that sort of like weekend blowout mentality where they're so good in their I hate this word, but quote unquote, clean with their diet Mm. Monday to Friday, they get to Friday night and it's like blowout mentality. They have a huge cheat weekend. They start again on Monday and they realize- It's a binge restrict cycle, essentially. It is binge restrict cycle, but in in a more normalized way of looking at it, which is not good. Mm, 100%. So I regularly, I would say to you, strongly encourage you to, you know, include a small amount of your favorite foods on a Tuesday morning at morning tea, go right ahead. But I do encourage my clients to actively plan it in if they can. Um, You know, don't just kind of pretend it didn't happen, then beat yourself up and be like, oh, I ruined my diet. It's only Tuesday. I'm going to you know, eat crappy for the rest of the week and wait to start again on Monday and avoid this sort of perfectionist mentality at all costs. Because I talk about soul foods and they're things that they absolutely light your soul on fire. But for me, it's so important that my clients eat the exact food that they're craving to down to the exact brand. Because when clients say to me, oh, I love chocolate. I'm like, what type? Like all types. I'm like, there's got to be a type or a brand or something that you love, just your go-to brand. And a lot of times I meet clients who are trying to replace whatever it is they're craving, their favorite food in the whole world with a healthier alternative. So they'll make like... You know, they want this decadent brownie from like the cafe down the road, mm-hmm. right? And they replace it with this gluten-free, dairy-free, refined, sugar-free, <laughs> sweet potato brownie. I'm like, is that even a brownie anymore? And I then saw they a tofu brownie the other day. Oh, but, oh, oh God. goodness. <laughs> anyway, they make that. And so then it, you know, then they in, eat three, four, five pieces of that because in their mind, it's a healthier and cleaner yeah. alternative. So I always say, eat the food that you love the absolute most or the food that you're craving. Do it in a super mindful way, portion size some out and walk into another room because you overall, you're likely to eat far less if you just went for the food that you yep. wanted rather than trying to fight off those cravings and going and grabbing a handful of nuts and then a couple of carrot sticks and hummus, then you know a bit of PB on some crackers and then coming back and eating the chocolate anyway afterwards, you're probably going to end up eating more calories um, than if you had previously. I mean, if the thing that you're craving is carrots and hummus, great. But if the thing that you're craving is actually chocolate, learn how to eat a small amount of food in a mindful way and gain true satisfaction from that tiny amount. If you find yourself wanting to eat more and more and more and more, it's likely what I call head hunger. So the Mm. type of hunger that isn't, I like to distinguish hunger between three ways, head hunger, mouth hunger, and stomach hunger. So stomach hunger is true physical hunger. Eat when you're hungry, very important. Mouth hunger is when you just want to eat a little bit of something for the true just taste and satisfaction and enjoyment. And then that head hunger is more linked to emotions. We're eating because we're bored or we're stressed or we're upset or we've had a bad day. And that is not a great type of hunger to be eating in, Rhiannon, because we'll never be satisfied because the thing that we were looking to, I guess, nourish ourselves with was never really food to begin with. There's another Mm. sort of emotion at play that we should really be going to work on first, spend some time, 10, 15, 20 minutes working on that emotion, then come back and eat a little bit of your favorite soul food for what I call that mouth hunger, just a few little bites of that pure taste and satisfaction. So 
I think it's absolutely okay to eat desserts and treats every now and then, but always do it in a mindful way without any distractions. Because if you're distracted while you're eating it, um, your brain hasn't really had time to recognize that you've had it and you'll always want more and more and more. So if you're sitting there watching, you know, Netflix at nighttime, actually pause it, get up, go measure out a portion of your food. You don't have to weigh it out on the scale, but, you know, grab a couple of pieces of chocolate, put the rest back into the pantry or the fridge or wherever Mm. you choose to put your chocolate (laughs) um, and actually walk away and, and eat that in a really mindful way without being distracted by the TV or scrolling through Facebook, pay total attention to that food and you'll find that you feel so much more satisfied afterwards. So many key points there, mindful eating, mindlessly eating, making sure that <laughs> yes. we allow ourselves to be satisfied, not just listening to hunger cues, but satisfaction. There's, it, it is all so important. Thank you so much for delving into all of that for everybody because if only, I mean, one of the unusual tasks that sometimes I have to set clients is to try and have chocolate for breakfast because we need to get rid of the association that a food is set for a certain time of day and a certain day of the week and it's about Mm -hmm. breaking down those associations. But anyway, that is another episode. That is a whole other area. (laughs) Um, We're moving on to our fact or fiction round, Leanne. Are you ready? I'm ready, but I must say I get nervous. I always try to do it with the the person that you're interviewing when I'm listening to your podcast. (laughs) And sometimes I think, oh, I haven't thought of the answer and they're so quick. So (laughs) let me try and do my best without rambling. I'll try and just give you a a fact or fiction answer. As you know, it's incredibly difficult. So please do not worry. Okay, here we go. You have to count calories to lose weight. Fiction. Eating from smaller plates can help reduce overeating. Uh, Definitely fact. Low fat is the healthier choice. Fiction. Avoid gluten and bread. Fiction, unless you have diagnosed celiac disease. So obviously avoiding gluten is important, but not bread. (laughs) You can definitely have gluten-free bread. (laughs) Love it. Love the caveat. Weight loss comes easier with age. I think fiction. Mm -hmm. Resistance training can help support weight loss. Fact. Alcohol isn't very influential on weight. Ooh, I think fiction. doesn't mean to say you can't have a nice drink or two, but I think it it doesn't help weight loss long term. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Too much. Exactly. Poor sleep will mean you eat more. Fiction. I think it can mean that you eat more, but it doesn't mean you will. Ooh, I like that. Now a I'm cal- rambling. <laughs> you, I like that one. Um, a calorie deficit affects your mental health. I think fiction, depending on how you do it. Mindful eating always helps improve a relationship with food. Fact. Oh, that was so good. You were so fast. It's almost as if you were like practicing answering fact or fiction. (laughs) Sometimes I even get them confused in my head. (laughs) I know, sometimes there's double negatives and I'm just trying. uh, Anyway, that was wonderful. Leanne, it's been such an absolute pleasure and we always wrap up every episode with our food for thought and... I think I'll finish today by um, saying, first of all, that I like the switch of language, I think, from reframing weight loss to body fat loss or fat loss and getting comfortable with a word that has been um, negatively associated, associated with many things. It's a factual type of word. And of course, it needs to be used in the right context. But when it's coming to your own body and you're looking at a goal, it might be a more helpful way to look at it. 
And like Leanne said, you know, if you follow these quick fixes, fatty diets, things that are just not sustainable, hard to maintain, you could end up doing a bit more harm than good and derailing. And and equally, if you've been there before, it doesn't mean you can't still achieve a goal that you want to and be happy and healthy along the way. So Leanne, if there's something that you could um, give our listeners a little take home nugget of information today, a food for thought, what would that be? I think for me personally, and a lot of ladies that I work with, I only work with females at the moment, it's to get rid of that perfectionism. You know, we don't Mm. need to be perfect. And I remember seeing this sort of analogy where it was like, you know, once we've eaten something bad, we think we've ruined our diet. So it's like, oh, I may as well eat the rest of the chocolate block and then all the ice cream (laughs) in the freezer and then all the, you know, the crisps in the cupboard as well. But it Mm. doesn't have to be like that. Think about it as you, you know, you're putting the the, um, glassware away in the dishwasher and you accidentally drop a glass. Just because you drop one glass doesn't mean that you're going to go smash another 10. Think of it Mm. as that way. We don't need to be perfect with our diet. Nothing's ruined. Um, Think about your progress in your diet as uh, 10% better. I have a mantra in my podcast and that's 10% better. Not trying to be perfect because if we're aiming for perfection, we're aiming to fail because nobody's perfect. We have so many wonderful eating opportunities every single day that if we stuff up one or two of them or we eat a little bit too much chocolate or have a couple of extra donuts, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that we just write off the rest of the week or the rest of the weekend and aim to start again on Monday because that's the reason that the majority of my clients can't make any progress, Rhiannon, is because they're just trying to be perfect and nobody's perfect. So the minute that they're not, they just write off the rest of the week. So just remember that we have, for most people, four, five, six opportunities every single day to nourish your body. If you said you ate, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and two snacks a day, that's five eating opportunities a day or 35 a week. If you stuff up one Friday night, it's not going to make the world of difference. But if Mm. then you, you know, write off the whole of Saturday and the whole of Sunday, that is 10 eating opportunities that you have wasted to nourish your body if you're waiting again until Monday. So that's my food for your thought for your listeners. Aww. Don't try to be perfect. Just aim for that small amount of progress. Leanne, that was truly wonderful. It's been such a joy to speak with you. Um, where can our listeners go to find out more about you? Yeah, of course. So I've got my own podcast as well. So it's Leanne Ward Nutrition. Um, if you search me, it should pop up. We talk about emotional eating, female-focused fat loss, and gut health on my podcast, along with so other good. topics as well. Mm. Yeah, so have a listen if you if you don't mind my Australian accent. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm um, the fitness dietitian, so the underscore fitness underscore dietitian. Or on TikTok, I'm Leanne Ward Nutrition, just to make it confusing. <laughs> and my website, where I've got um, an evidence-based fat loss webinar on my website, and as well a course on self-sabotage and emotional eating. Uh, my website is just leanneward.com.au. I think it's amazing the work you're doing. A big, big thank you for coming on Food for Thought today. Thank you so much, Rihanna. It's been a pleasure. If you are enjoying Food for Thought, you will absolutely love our up and coming episodes. So if you don't already subscribe, make sure you click and then you can be the first to hear it every Monday. It would also be brilliant if you have the time to leave a review so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully then we can help more and more people because that is what this podcast is all about. And in case you haven't heard, I've got a brand new book on the way. It's called The Science of Nutrition and my book will be coming out this December, so December 2021. It's available to pre-order now on Amazon, so do head over there to check it out and 
For any more information about my Retrition Clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, just head on over to retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm.